Visit the Ford Fan Zone on Level 6 at the next Jazz home game. They've got free pop shot cornhole, and foosball tables. Enjoy incredible city and mountain views while relaxing, enjoying food and drink, taking in the game, and socializing with friends. Time now to talk with Ben Anderson. You hear him on Jazz Radio Broadcast, pre-half and post-game. He is joining us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Lease any phone and get an iPad or Samsung Tab A for $99.99. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. Ben, good morning. Good morning, guys. So, Ben, I'm curious. Are you more half glass half full or glass half empty? Because watching the Twitter feed, trying to get people to explain what's been going on over the last uh, two months, um, we just got this one tweet from uh, Tenderhearted85. It's simple. The Jazz are just mediocre. They barely beat the bad teams, and they lose to the good. <laughs> They'll probably lose in the first round of the playoffs if they even make it. Okay, now you're Brother. just tweaking people on Twitter with the last part. But I think the earlier part, you know, how good are they? And what is... I, I think. Go ahead. I think they're very good. I, I still believe they're very good, and I think anyone who's afraid the sky is falling after yesterday is probably set up by how good the Jazz actually are playing because you watch them for 21 games, win 19 of them, uh, to then see a performance like they had last night. It's just so jarring that, that you have to believe something's inherently wrong or something's terribly wrong with this team because it was such a, an outlier compared to how they have been playing. But, you know, to have that many good games in a row and play that consistently well and even have their bad losses, or I should say their losses, come in – Somewhat, you know, impressive fashion, losing to Miami on the road by three, uh, especially when that bench was as bad as it used to be, and then losing to the New Orleans Pelicans when Brandon Ingram puts up 49 points. Those those aren't bad losses. For, so then for last night to happen, I, I understand why Jazz fans think, oh, something must be terrible, something's gone wrong. It was just a strange outlier. We've been having this discussion about Mike Conley. It's a fascinating discussion. I don't know that there's any particular right answer, wrong answer, but we're going back and forth, you know, as he tries to find his way. And we had somebody uh, get on our phone line from the state of Tennessee and just guarantee us that Mike Conley will be there. Not only will he be there, he'll be the man. And got nothing to worry about with him. And so we see him play, and we're trying to project forward. I have a concern. It's, I don't know what percentage of a level of a concern, but it's out there to where, yeah, he'll really show up in the playoffs when you need his experience. And my thought for you to get your response is, how much can you expect him to really be a big-time player in the playoffs when he is trying to adjust to this entirely different role? Because it's clear when he was in Memphis, at most times he was at least, uh, at worst, the number two option, if not the number one option. And here you got guys like Mitchell, who obviously has proven worthy of a number one option, will be an all-star, all that stuff. And so you're asking Conley to fit in. And is he capable of then coming up with big moments if he's trying to fit in and he's got to think, okay, do I fit in? Do I take over? What do I do? And you overthink it and the moment's gone. So you put all that stuff in a big stew and then projecting ahead when we get to the postseason, what do you got? And so, Ben, you've got two minutes to give us the definitive (laughs) answer right now. I don't think you can ask him to be the man in the playoffs if you haven't asked him to be the man all year. 
and the Jazz aren't asking him to be the man. So if you're waiting for Memphis Mike to come back and, and be that player, I, I don't think it's going to happen because the Jazz don't need him to be that. The Jazz aren't asking him to be that. If, if he had come in and, and taken over the team and become you know what Boyan Bogdanovich did and came in and just said, you know what, I'm the number two scorer and I'm going to get shots and I'm going to make them and I'm going to hit big shots early like he did against the Milwaukee Bucks for the game winner, then then maybe Mike Conley would have that role. But he hasn't done that. The Jazz haven't asked him to do it. And then he got hurt, and the Jazz played so well that they're not going to probably put that on his plate when he does come back. So I do think those are issues uh, that Jazz fans may have with Mike Conley the rest of the year. If you're waiting for that to happen, stop. Because they haven't asked him to do it. They don't need him to do it. I don't think they particularly want him to do it. And then if he doesn't do it in the regular season, he's certainly not going to do it in the playoffs. But his role should continue to increase because I still think the goal is to get him back into the starting lineup. So watching him, I think I just want him to be more efficient. Uh, you know, the nine shot attempts, uh, yeah, there's probably one I would quibble with. Don't take that one. And if you make one of the open ones and you're one for three from three, a couple of the turnovers were unforced. You just fall down and dribble the ball off your leg or whatever. Can he just tighten up the act a little bit? Because I don't, I don't think he needs to take over. If he comes in and he's efficient, and when he's got the opportunity, he beats his man, he makes the open shot, he finds the open guy with a pass, they are good to go. Yeah, I agree. He, he doesn't need to come in and, and do anything particularly impressive. He needs to be more decisive. I mean, I think that's something we haven't seen from him very much is that he just comes in and kind of looks like he's still trying to figure it out. But that's absolutely understandable because he was trying to fit in with one team for the first 20 games of the year. And then he got hurt and he came back and he's coming off the bench and he's trying to figure out how to play with a different team. And then last night, particularly weird because of that defense that the Houston Rockets were playing. And even after the game, Donovan Mitchell said, you know, we've played against that switching defense and we know how to play against it but Mike Conley hasn't, and Boyan Bogdanovich hasn't, and Jordan Clarkson hasn't, so it's not surprising that they don't know what we're trying to do to attack that team. So just based off recency bias, they looked weird last night, and Mike Conley didn't look very good last night and had five turnovers, tying the most he's had in the Jazz uniform. But that could be opponent-driven. I don't think that's necessarily Mike Conley not having it. He's not the type of guy who turns the ball over a whole lot. So I want to see him be more decisive. I I want him to know what his role is. But I don't know if the Jazz know exactly what his role is. So I think all that just has to come together with time and reps the same way it has for Donovan Mitchell over a couple of years. And Rudy Gobert really took, you know, as great as he's been this year, he really kind of took another step in the last two weeks. It just, it takes a while to continue to fit in. Yeah, okay. And we all buy that. But I get, and I'm not there yet. I'm just throwing it out there from a hypothetical standpoint for the sake of discussion. If I keep trying to fit in, and fit in and fit in, if I end up with the square peg round hole, I can keep trying to look at this thing thinking it's going to fit in eventually and eventually eventually wears out and we no longer have eventually and it's just not going to work. Is there anything there that gives you concern that that possibly could happen? I'm not saying it will. I'm saying possibly. Yes, but... With the caveat that there's a very high safety net if it doesn't work, which is, so he's Emmanuel Moutier and he's your backup point guard, and he gives you as much as Emmanuel Moutier does for the most part. You know, Moutier had a good stretch, and, and I think the difference in play right now between Emmanuel Moutier and Mike Conley probably isn't enormous. But because we had these 
preconceived notions of who Moutier was when he joined the team coming from New York, and then how good we thought Mike Conley was going to be and how he's playing here with the Jazz, it feels like a step backwards, that, that maybe we're overvaluing what Moutier has done for the team and a little bit undervaluing what, what Mike Conley has done. So, yes, there's concern that he doesn't get back to being the level that he was at, and yes, he makes you know 30% of the salary cap, and that's a big number, and that's a number, uh, number you want to come in and give you enormous production. If he doesn't, Jazz were pretty good when Emmanuel Moutier was playing. And if Mike Conley's giving you that, they're still going to be very competitive, and they're still going to have Boyan Bogdanovich and Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert uh, in the starting lineup that's, that's capable of hurting you and beating you. And if Joe Ingles can break out of this mini-funk that he's been in again, and I think he has been in a little bit of a mini-funk since Mike Conley came back, and I think that's coincidental, uh, then I think the Jazz are going to continue to be a very dangerous team. And I, I totally buy your point that expectations will shape your view of how someone is playing. Uh, and I think that that is one of the reasons the Jazz and so many NBA teams buy into analytics because you've got this, now let's go double-check it, let's crunch the numbers. How efficient are we offensively and defensively with one guy on the floor and with the other guy on the floor to try and eliminate the whole, you know, the power of expectations shaping views? No question about it. And, and I mean, we, we do it with everything. I mean, we're just we're, – we're very flawed in how we observe basketball. And even just looking at it from a numbers point of view is a flawed perspective. I mean, the eye test matters. You know, what you're seeing actually matters and, and how it's working together matters. And the Jazz absolutely make decisions based on that sometimes. If it doesn't feel like it's working, maybe it's not working. There weren't a lot of great numbers that said that George Niang should be the guy in the lineup over Jeff Green. Jeff Green wasn't great, but the Jazz cut him, and George Niang started playing great, and the Jazz became a very good team all of a sudden. So, I test matters and feel matters. And then, of course, you know, preconceived notions certainly are, are a bias you need to be careful of. And that's something Quinn Snyder's done as well, that he's got to make sure he doesn't have biases. And, and you know, you, you pick up trends and you pick up things you like, and you have to be willing to abandon those and kill those things if, if you're just not ready for them or you don't want to. If you feel like you're over-embracing them, you just can't get too attached to them. The thing about Moutier is interesting. We were also discussing... DJ saying that, and you know, I don't have any arguments with what he's saying, that you got to give Conley a stretch of games to try to find his way. And so is that 20, is that 25 games? And then you get to that point, uh, in, and hopefully it doesn't get to that point, but if it does to where, okay, we need to get Moutier back in the lineup, any concern that you've lost him because you have playing time that's allocated based on production, but... In a lot of cases, when you lose playing time, it's because you weren't producing. And Moutier has lost playing time, but it wasn't for lack of production. He was actually producing, and it was still taken away from him. So wondering if that could be a concern in keeping him engaged. Sure, yeah. You know, you, you go out of the lineup, and you don't do your job for a while, and then you're expected to come back in and play right away and, and pick up a role. It, that's going to be an adjustment. Now, I, I still believe that you're going to get Emmanuel Moutier back into the rotation at some point. I would imagine that was part of the plan is Mike Conley needs this time off the bench to work on his game and rehab and, and get back into game shape and, and get back to playing really important minutes with the team. And, and then once he gets into that starting lineup, the, that you'll probably see Moutier coming off the bench again a little bit more and handling some of that scoring load and handling a little bit of the playmaking because they're lacking it at times right now. I mean, his decisiveness was good coming off the bench, and maybe that's why Mike Conley again looks a little bit shaky because you you had simplified the game down enough for Emmanuel Moutier, and that's not an insult to Emmanuel Moutier. I mean, you had just simple 
simplified the game to a point where the Jazz knew what they were trying to do every time they were on the floor, whether it was Moutier in the starting lineup, or I should say coming off the bench, or Joe Ingles in the starting lineup. There, there just was a, an identity that they were running with, and I think they're trying to reestablish that again a, a little bit. And Right now, Mike Conley's trying to find it, and Moutier had it, and when the Jazz can move uh, Conley into the starting lineup, again, as I've said several times, I think that's the goal still then Moutier will come back in and, and help with that identity on the bench, and it will help everybody. I mean, I, I think the Jazz will go back to playing a little bit of a deeper rotation over the last 40 games. I understand Quinn Snyder likes to play nine guys, and then in the playoffs likes to play eight guys. I suspect we will see that again, but I, I don't think we've seen the last of Emmanuel Moutier yet. The Jazz are 10-2 and two in their last 12 road games. What do you expect out of this trip? San Antonio and Denver back-to-back Wednesday, Thursday, and then they're at Portland Saturday night. They should go 2-1. and one. I mean, I think that's fair to expect with, with how good of a team they are. And, and, DJ, you were talking yesterday about how this is a team that's projected or was going into the game projected to win about 58 games. And You win the majority of your road games when that's the case, and they're playing well on the road. So they're better than San Antonio. They're better than Portland. Are they better than Denver? I don't know. That's, that's the question that, that we've been asking for 20 games now and why these games have been fun and been exciting. And uh, They didn't look better than Dallas, and they beat them and they looked like they'd be better in Houston. <laughs> they didn't. So there's certainly some questions for this team, but the nice thing is, is you don't have to base anything the Jazz are going to do tomorrow or Thursday or Saturday on what you saw last night because what Houston did was so weird and so unusual, and, and the lineup they played of everyone six six or shorter with the exception of Isaiah Hardenstein, who played seven minutes, you're just never going to see that again. So I don't think necessarily you have to worry about that. And those teams that the Jazz are going to play, maybe with the exception of, of Portland, is really reliant on a big guy. I mean, you need to see a lot of touches from LaMarcus Aldridge if you're San Antonio. You need to see a lot of touches from Nikola Jokic if you're Denver. And that's good for the Jazz. The Jazz want your best player matched up against Rudy Gobert. They feel like they're going to win that matchup. So I want you to tell me if I'm up in the night, which for a guy who has a morning radio show is not good, obviously, because you get sleep deprivation. And then we know all the problems that can come from that. So that as the backdrop. The Houston game, they have real struggles making the three. And they still shoot 50% from the floor, which then means the actual two-pointers, what were they? 72%. 72% on two-pointers. I'm wondering, in situational situations i guess (laughs) good one that you 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 realize man we're up against a team that's real short and you know probably won't have that very much so that you put that off the side but the the bigger point is the threes aren't dropping but we're kicking butt on the twos but i know we're supposed to take threes is there any time you can just say all right you know the threes just aren't happening for us tonight how about we settle for twos because we're scoring twos at a stunning rate and this tonight, not all the time, and very rarely, but tonight might help us have a better chance to win. Is is that a excuse me? Is that a stupid theory, or is there any validity to it? No, the Jazz lost to the Houston Rockets two years ago, or I guess you know, really two years ago. It didn't happen as much last season, but and Chris Paul because Mike D'Antoni said, "Oh, we shoot the most threes in the NBA, and they're taking away the threes. What should we do? Well, let's kill them with twos." And, and the Jazz lost in that sense because Chris Paul was able to get into the mid-range and play well. And if you look at who the best mid-range shooting team has been over the last four or five years, it's been the Golden State Warriors because it's nice to give the ball to Kevin Durant or Clay Thompson when they're coming off a curl and have them rise up and, and shoot a good shot. Because when you do that, again, the defense compresses and then you can kick the ball back out to the three-point line. So you can set up the three-point shot 
with more twos. So, no, you need to be versatile. You need to be able to score everywhere on the floor, and that's why Boyan Bogdanovich has a lot of value as a guy who can go and catch the ball in the post and, and do some things. And I was surprised we didn't see that from the Jazz last night. We didn't see more of those uh, opportunities for him to get those touches where he would have had a size advantage and wouldn't be asked to put the ball on the ground where he had three turnovers, and some of them were completely unforced. He just lost his dribble. That's an advantage for the Jazz. That's where I actually think Emmanuel Moutier has a ton of value for this team, and you could see him playing in a playoff series where teams are finding ways to eliminate the Jazz open threes or Joe Ingles threes, and they say, you know what, we need a guy who can get to 10 feet and get a good shot off and make that shot. And Emmanuel Moutier does it. And, you know, if we want to make a comparison of who his game is like, it's somewhat Sean Livingston-like. And and we know how important he was to these Golden State Warriors teams over the last four and five years. He just, he would be that guy who would come in and make three or four shots or four out of six shots and have eight points. And they were reserve minutes, but they were minutes you were hoping you would win when Steph Curry or Clay Thompson was off the floor and they weren't playing that type of basketball where they were getting 10 threes up in a quarter and making four of them or making five of them or, worst case, making six or seven of them and the game being over. But you realize there was no real drop-off for the few minutes that Sean Livingston was on the floor because he found a way to score efficiently. And you can still do that from the mid-range. No, it's not as efficient as three-point shots if you're making them. But if you're not making them, it's nice to have a secondary option. And I do think the Jazz actually have some of those and will continue to show some of those. But, again, to go back to Emmanuel Moutier, that's a value he has and can add to this team. Uh, It's been well known over the last year and a half that one of the real problems with the Jazz is when Adam takes a night off and I cover the team. The home record is much worse with me at the game than it is with Adam Mikulich at the game. And I'm wondering if you've seen any trends like that in the pre-half and post-game. Tim Lacombe, Gordy Chiesa, you. Is one of you a real problem? Do we need to minimize the games you're working? Tim was really bad to start the year. I want to say they were, you know, something like 0-4 or 0-5. Uh, and, and I was actually doing very well, including some kind of weird come-from-behind victories mm-hmm. the Jazz had had. I think we've started to even out. And then again, it, everyone's been eating well over the last 20 games. You know, the, the Jazz just aren't losing many of those. And I was working that, that weird Pelicans game that they lost. And, and you know, I, I guess I picked up an L there. And then I picked up a weird one last night. So maybe the recent trend is, is I'm the bad guy. It's really right. possible. I was working the Miami night when they traded for Jordan Clarkson and, and they lost that game. So... I've worked all three of the Jazz last losses over since, what is that, December 14th? I worked the Oklahoma City game, too, so I worked the last four losses oh, for the you Jazz. Suck. So you do I'm suck. I'm doing terrible. <laughs> I got yeah, to the awful. bottom of this. <laughs> well, I, I honestly hadn't thought about it because I try not to blame myself. I think you need to be a little... Team. Hey, accountability, buddy. Look in yeah. the mirror. You need to be a little freer with the blame. Now, yeah, I'm did, looking at the schedule now. They lost to the Lakers on December 4th. Did you work that one? They got blown out, 121-96. I, I, I didn't work that okay, game. Okay, that's not it. not doing radio that game. That's where the streak ends then. Okay. All right. Good to know. All right. Well, Ben, uh, thanks for joining us, and uh, try to enjoy the pre-half and post a little less often because you're clearly part of the problem. I know. I'm, a, I'm an issue. Thanks, guys. I'll try to stay home and watch on TV myself. All right. Ben Anderson, Jazz pre-half and post game, you know, for now, unless he, he's keeps losing it'll change gotta gotta change your luck somehow when we come back get you up to speed on everything we've been talking about during this story in baseball yeah sweet we'll get to it next stay with us and now attention top of the wire on 97.5 1280 the zone and the zone sports network
Jazz lose to the shorthanded Rockets, 126-117. Eric Gordon goes for 50 points. Jazz are off today. They play the Spurs in San Antonio tomorrow. Spurs lose to the Bulls, 110-109. Utah State in action tonight in Laramie. They'll be facing Wyoming, last place in the Mountain West, 0-9. Game tips at 9 o'clock on ESPNU. You can listen to the pregame show with Scotty G starting at 8.30. No Lakers-Clippers game tonight. That matchup's been postponed and rescheduled in the wake of Kobe Bryant's death on Sunday. College football, Bo Pelini, former Nebraska head coach, is a new defensive coordinator at LSU. He was a defensive coordinator there when they won the national title in 2007. Top of the Wire is brought to you by Action Plumbing. Call Action Plumbing and get your winter furnace tune-up and safety check for $33 by calling Action Plumbing at 801-833-3333 or going to actionplumbing.net. Big Show. Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Are you ready? You guys ready? It's actually a big weekend for the Salt Lake City Stars. And we have four tickets to give away for that. We thought we'd do a keyword. You want to do a keyword? Yeah. What should we do? Um, hmm. Rebound? We had decided during the break. Why are you going away from the word we decided? I set this up for you to go, how about finals? Our show is completely spontaneous, folks. We never plan anything out in advance. I think we can plan what a keyword is going to be. I thought you changed your mind. Here's where you make a good point. Why do we plan anything on this show? (laughs) I'm just going to be spitballing from here on out. Turn this up. Catch the Big Show, presented by Mountain America Credit Union. Afternoons from 3 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. 9 a.m. Slacker Radio Headlines are brought to you by Larry H. Miller, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, and Sandy. Find your deals online at LHMDeals.com. Want to start with a new story before we recap everything? You do, yeah. You going to mention the Houston Astros? No. Oh. The Diamondbacks traded for Sterling Marte. All right. Center field for them. Now, hey, you know, he's a two-time All-Star from Pittsburgh. And what makes it unusual, they got Cattell Marte and Starling Marte. So we are Marte'd up. All right. <laughs> Parte with the Martes. They're not related. I don't know if that's Smith in the Dominican or what, but uh, nevertheless, they got both of those guys. Uh, but, yeah, the Houston Astros have decided to hire Dusty Baker. And Dusty Baker's 15th in big league wins. I thought he got screwed out of the uh, Washington job the last time he got fired. Uh, he's been around uh, a number Giants. of teams. Yeah. And obviously the uh, Cubs, Washington, and now Houston. He really hasn't managed any bad teams. I think his worst year is 80 wins. Is that what it was? Yeah. Okay. I think it's a great selection. Uh, you get somebody who's been through all the... All the stuff. He, I, I've had some people, you know, obviously he played for the Dodgers for a number of years. And so I know people down there. And they said he was a really great dude. And I have a friend of mine. He was flying out of one of the, uh, uh, we were just talking about the islands. And he was flying, I think it was Maui, I'm not sure. Might have been even one of the smaller ones, uh, islands. And so he's standing in line in the security. And he looks up. And he passes security, and there's Dusty Baker just kind of hanging out. So he goes over to him, starts talking to him. He said he couldn't have been nicer. And my buddy said something along the lines, man, you got screwed out of that Washington job. And, yeah, you know, he didn't really want to get into it too much. Probably not. <laughs> but, but now he's got an opportunity. And this, this I'm not glad that this cheating thing, because I feel bad for guys like Kershaw and, and the Dodgers. And, and I know a lot of people don't want to feel bad for the Dodgers. But cheating above and beyond what is acceptable is just wrong. But Houston—that's an awesome phrase right there. 
Cheating above and beyond well, what is we acceptable. We know stealing signs isn't cheating. viewed as wrong within the context of stealing signs. Uh, but if it's inappropriate, then it's a big deal and, and electronic and all this other stuff. So here, the Houston Astros have become a fascinating story. And you know what I heard? What year? That uh, I think the I have to double check this, but the Houston's first road games uh-huh. are against the Angels. Oh, this is true. Yeah, I know where you're going. a bunch of Dodger fans are Eight, buying up tickets. 800 of them. There's some yeah. Dodger fan yeah. club kind yeah. of organized. Yeah. And so the uh, either they reached out to the Angels, the Angels reached out to them, but it's been set and they got tickets and they're going to come harass the Astros. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. So I was curious with Houston and Boston having been uh, identified here with the, the cameras and the video monitors and the electronic stealing of signs. And there's been this uh, whole thing about, well, who, there's other teams doing it. It just hasn't come out. Who are they? Who, who? Did you know there are only four teams in Major League Baseball that scored 900 runs last year? Oh, so you think it's those four? Well, Houston and Boston are third and fourth. Two teams scored more runs than the teams who knew what pitch was coming and who are talented, we ought to add. Yankees? Yep. Number one. Uh, let's see who had a bashful of offense. Uh, is it national? American. American League. Yeah, I, I ran by someone that gets Dodgers. Dodgers were five. Uh, let's see. 886 runs. They didn't quite get to 900. Uh, Brewers? <clears throat> no. No, Milwaukee was very average, right in the middle of the league. Well, I would of the go. leagues, plural, both leagues, thirty teams. I would, I would look teams who won. Oakland won ninety games or so last year, and then in the yeah, Tampa was very good. Minnesota, uh, and that's what I was going to get to. Minnesota, yeah. I was going to go with the other division. Yankees. Minnesota, Houston, and Boston were the only teams that scored 900 runs. Now, two of them have been identified as cheating. And, you know, I don't know, circumstantially, you can look at the Yankees in Minnesota. You got any evidence or any? I mean, people in baseball know. Uh, They're just not talking about it. I think with Minnesota, I think it's the water. The water? They got a lot of lakes there. Yeah. 10,000 of them we've heard. Right. And so I think that makes the ball travel, the humidity of the water and the lakes. So interesting, the four teams got to 900. There were five teams that didn't even get to 700, so we can assume they're innocent. Guys, you're too pathetic. If you knew what was coming and you still did this, you really suck. Yeah, but do you know what's coming every single pitch, every time? No, but over (laughs) over a gazillion pitches over the course of 162 games, it's an advantage, and you ought to end up scoring more runs. So what is it, the SEC? If you ain't cheating, you're going to fall behind? I'm <laughs> looking at you, Vanderbilt. Yeah. Uh, the bottom was Kansas City, San Diego, San Francisco, Miami. And special honors to Detroit. They were the only team in the majors that didn't even score 600 runs. Well, all those teams sucked. Yeah. So who did it? Who else was cheating? How many were there? And I don't know if the number is one other it, or degree, four under. It's like the roids. You've got to have talent. You just can't have I roids. I totally agree. Although I do think it's a bigger advantage to know what's coming rather than being roided up and not knowing what's mm. coming. We should run some control studies on that and identify exactly how much each one of those things is worth. Yes. Because the roided up guy the, with the warning track power or the doubles power turns into home runs. But he still has to hit the ball. But knowing what's coming, you can at least make contact, put it in play. That's half the battle. Get some more base hits. 
I mean, you have to recognize just how good these guys are. You're not taking some single-A dude off the street. Okay, we're going to throw you a fastball. All right, yeah, great, I'm going to jack it. No, you got to still be a high-level dude. Plus, with the knowledge of what's coming, then you're going to produce a whole lot of success. It'd be intriguing to know who the other teams are, but I think when Jessica Mendoza from ESPN and the Mets came out, she, she was wearing more the Mets hat than the ESPN hat with the whole... You know, really disappointing someone would leak this, blah, blah, blah. And I think that is what's thought across these clubs. And I think they do have an idea who else either might have been doing it or was definitely doing it. But nobody's saying. Okay, so do we have that theory what, uh, you know, it's uh, one of the th- sayings of Martin Luther King or somebody. I'm, I'm going to butcher it. But uh, doing wrong is bad, but seeing wrong being done and not speaking up about it is even worse. And I'm, I'm butchering the saying. Right. Uh, so do we apply that in baseball or the rules don't come? So just no. because... In, in baseball, you know, snitches get stitches. <laughs> Literally, they're going to hit you with a pitch. The stitches. You're going to get the old four-seam fastball. Wait, which one is... No, it's the two-seam fastball, right? Which one do they throw a little harder? And which one takes a little off and fools guys? The two-seam yeah. or the four-seam? Yeah, four I got seam. you, the two. Um, so that's wrong, but but see, there's never been a level of snitching to this degree. So is that really wrong? I get your point in prior stuff. And yeah, and where I grew up in the East, you, you keep your mouth shut. Uh, I understand all that. But here, this is this is a level that is beyond. And so was it even even the steroids? Uh, I'm using steroids. You're using steroids. He's using steroids. Nobody talked about it until Jose Canseco wrote the book. But we got everybody, not everybody, but so many are using them. And then, you know, does it flush out to a degree? I don't know if teams had advantages by steroids. I agree. Because Bonds and McGuire didn't win titles. I know. You're right. I totally agree. I think, and that's where I think football gets a pass for all the steroid use, the PED use that goes on there. And baseball takes a hit for it. Because in baseball, the numbers are important and... You get a talented player, a Hall of Fame player. I, I think Bonds is a Hall of Famer before he ever touches a PED. That's my opinion. And then when he does, well, now it's 73 homers in a year and 760-whatever in a career. Whereas normally he would have been 40 in a season and 500 in a career, which is plenty good enough to get you into the Hall. Plenty good enough. But in football, you put... An offensive lineman on PEDs, you put a defensive lineman on PEDs, the game doesn't look any different. You put Barry Bonds on PEDs, the game looks different. And that's why the baseball players are taking well, a hit and the football players are getting a pass. Yeah, and I also think, though, and I agree with you, but I think it's more than that. I think included is, for some reason, baseball historical records are viewed as sacred. Absolutely. And yeah. they're identifiable. And you made the game look different by there's, wrecking these massive numbers that no stood the test of There's no numbers in football. Right. That are sacred. Right. None. Name me one. It, actually, title, Super Bowl winning. Probably the most. But sure. But as far as like... 25,000 yards passing. What, where, I have no idea where that ranks. You know, you know Jerry Rice is the GOAT, but you don't know how many touchdown catches he has, and you don't know how many yards receiving he has, and you don't know how many catches he has. No. The numbers are out there, but we don't look them up. We don't care. We just look at Jerry Rice in the end zone of the NFC title game thinking, wow, the GOAT looks like he's gained maybe a pound and a half since he stopped playing. He still looks exactly like Jerry Rice. He must be working out. Well, he is Jerry Rice. That's why he would look exactly like See? Jerry Rice. Yeah, yeah. If you follow me. 
Other stuff we've been talking about today, just to get you up to speed. So that was an awful loss to the Rockets. And what we've been trying to figure out this morning is what part of that is weird emotion in the arena with the Kobe tributes. What part of that is weird emotion in the arena because the Jazz know the Rockets are missing three guys and did they just take them lightly? And what part of it is the Rockets are their kryptonite, they play the switching defense, and the Jazz have always struggled with it. Now they got three new guys who haven't seen it in the playoffs, and so they continue to struggle with it. And what part of it is just you don't win them all. If you win four out of five, it's a 65-win pace, and they've won four out of five, so they played a bad game. But we've seen them go 19-2, and two, and we want them to win all the time. I know. I get it, but it's not going to happen. So what? The great thing about the NBA is we got games tomorrow. We got games Thursday. Yeah. And when do they they, they play Saturday? Yes, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday. All All on the road, three-game road trip. Who do they play Saturday? At Portland. All right, so great. Go 3-0, and you don't need me to forgive you, but all will be forgiven. All right, college hoops tonight. We talked a little bit about the Aggies. They've been, uh, they've been having problems on the road in Mountain West Conference play. If you don't win tonight, I don't know when you're going to win on the road because you're playing a Wyoming team that is 0 for the conference season, dead last at 0-9. So if you're going to win anywhere, be Wyoming and Laramie. Oh, yeah, and because they started with a few games earlier, they're to the halfway point already. They are. They are 5-4 and four in league right now. A yeah. four-way tie for fourth place. So, ought to pick up this win. They're 10 games over 500. They're 16-6. and six. This ought to be 17-6 and six and 6-4. Six and four. You need the two seeds so you're not playing the Aztecs to the final. ESPNU, 9 o'clock. Scotty G's got the call right here on The Zone. Pre-game show at 8.30. Oh, I'm going to tune in and reminisce. Laramie Arena Auditorium. Where do you eat in Laramie? Text him. Oh, actually, uh, he's got lunch coming up here in a couple hours. He could use. Oh no, 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 no. You no. asked me where you eat in Fort Collins. <laughs> you didn't even need a lunch in no, Laramie. No, <laughs> just drove straight to the stadium. Yes, yeah. The, where, the University of Wyoming, at least when I was doing it, their sports information folks mm-hmm. do an outstanding job. Everything is first class. So they got food for you there and, and whatnot, and they, 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 they'll treat you royally. I always, I always loved going and See, meeting with the people. I didn't like Laramie itself, but the, pe- and the weather in the winter yeah. could be nasty, obviously, and you got to drive back to Denver. That was in but, the days of travel partners, though, so you could stay in Fort Collins for five days and just zip up and back for the game. Correct. Now they're playing an NBA-type schedule, no travel partners, so they were home on Saturday, they're at Laramie on Tuesday. It doesn't matter. Your first and foremost goal is to accumulate as many Marriott points as possible. No Marriott's in Laramie. you got to no. go to Fort Collins yes. for the nearest Marriott. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yes. <laughs> Inside the mind of a sports writer. Well, that's the way it is. <laughs> there it is, and that's the way it is. I had somebody tell me this early on. Join the Marriott program, Stay at nothing but Marriott's, and it'll benefit you. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Your feedback next. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. This, this, this is Hans Olsen and Scotty G. It's what you want. There's a lot to talk about with the story of Kobe Bryant, but it is a sports icon that, frankly, we will never see that likes of him ever again. LeBron James is not Kobe Bryant. Kobe is more Michael Jordan than LeBron ever will be. And I love LeBron, too. Kobe is at a different level and a different stratosphere than LeBron James. And I don't know if we will ever see another person that will be comparable to what we saw from a drive from a championship standpoint than what we saw from Kobe Bryant. Him and MJ are just at a different level. Catch Hans and Scotty every day from noon to three. 
presented by your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealers on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it is time for your feedback. Brought to you by Audi Salt Lake City, where you can pick up a new Audi Q5 SUV for only $3.59 per month. Visit Audi Salt Lake City at 999 South State or AudiSaltLakeCity.com. Poor first-half shooting and stupid fouls. That was the problem for the Jazz. Most were actually good calls. It's hard to win a game when the other team takes 49 free throws. You're lethargic. You're not moving your feet. You're getting caught in transition, and you're fouling. They go to the free throw line, and there it is. Well, I got a guy. I just clicked on. I hadn't been on Twitter for a while. I just clicked on. Houston didn't expose them. The Jazz had an off-shooting night, and Houston made some great shots. Everyone is bleeping hysterics and needs to is in bleeping hysterics and needs to calm down. Jazz fans are like a crazy girl-slash-boyfriend and overreact to every bleeping thing. He's got the F-word in there twice. What do he's, you do? He's that banning? I've never banned anybody, but what do I do? How do you do that? Push block. And or mute. Or mute. And if you're... And if I hit block, you're banned forever? Yeah, they can't interrupt. Well, until you, you unblock. Yeah, until you well, unblock I mean, them. Yeah, I got it. Right. It's not forever. It's for however long you want. You ever block anybody? No. I don't think I, if I have, it's been accidental. And you know what I do sometimes? I look at my phone, and you're scrolling Twitter, and then I inadvertently unfollow somebody, and then somebody will say, hey, you unfollowed me, and I don't even know I did Fat it. thumbs. Yeah. Fat thumbs, people. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Well, and the funny thing is, Twitter actually will just do it sometimes. No, oh, they'll do it? That's happened before. Huh. Oh. And it will happen again. All right, you really rocked the world of huge Shasta trailer, a longtime listener to the show. what I do? Hmm. At P.K. Kinnan used a nonetheless where an irregardless would have been perfectly appropriate. My mind is a raging torrent flooded with rivulets of thought cascading into a waterfall of confusion. My morning will be spent questioning reality. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember. Uh, uh, but I always go back and I listen to all four hours and I take notes. Oh, okay. And... <laughs> and there and I you know try to make improvement the next day because as long as if you win the day then you're on to something just to prove a little bit better control what you control bring it in family on three <laughs> go ahead and explain that loss that's the question of the morning Jay Hurtado ball didn't go in the hoop next but, man up tweeted beat me to it well done sir but actually it did you shot 72% from two and yet they're wearing the L the four-game win streak is over. I think it was nine in a row at home. Over. I, I knew it would end at some point. Good, good call, PK. Yeah, I did. I thought about that a lot. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're out of here. Tony and Austin are up next. We'll see you.